Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the series finale. Yes, this is the series finale for our ongoing series, or well, soon concluding series, 30 Scriptures in 30 Days. We've made it to scripture number 30, day number 30, and we are hoping this is going to be a dramatic, dramatic, epic series finale. And that finale begins right now. Welcome, everyone, to the Theology Central Podcast for this Tuesday, July the 12th, 2022. It is currently 5.58 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, and we finally have arrived. We have made it to the grand finale. We have made it to the dramatic conclusion of this series, 30 Scriptures in 30 Days, It's been a crazy ride, and I hope this turns out to be a satisfying conclusion. Now, typically, when you bring a series to a dramatic conclusion, you know what to expect because, well, you've been planning for the conclusion. You've been planning to bring everything to an end, but in this series, there has been nothing planned. There has been nothing prepared for, so I don't know what's getting ready to happen. So that kind of makes it, I don't know, it that that kind of... That really, that really kind of leads, leads, leaves us and leads us into a situation that, well, I don't really want to be in because I really want this, I really want this to end in a very positive way. But since I, well, there's no preparing for this, we're doing this in very real time, in, in the most organic, real way possible. Then there, we are just left with the unknown. The only thing I do know is this: the is the end of this series. I do know that. I know we've made it to the end. Other than that, I don't know what to expect, and neither do you, and hopefully that's been the fun of you listening to every episode. There are a number of individuals, I'm not going to give their names, they know who they are, 
who've been very instrumental in me finishing this because there have been times I have said, you know what, forget this. This is not really working. But they've come along to say, no, 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 no. I really like what you're doing. Thank you. I understand what you're trying to do. I really appreciate it. And for every individual who gave any encouragement, starting from day one, scripture number one, to now today, day 30, scripture number 30, I really want you to know I appreciate it. Um, because yeah, they're, they're, I've questioned my decision to do this series the way I ended up doing it. But now that it's we're reaching the end, I, I'm somewhat grateful that you guys kept me on the road and to, to find the way to reach the finish line. Because I think that ultimately, I, I think a lot of interesting hermeneutical lessons have been gained from this and hopefully just a lot of practical lessons. When this is all said and done, I hope either I, I've got to go back and try to retranslate, not retranslate. I got to try to, re, I got to figure out, I can't even call it a retranslation. I got to try to figure out, I got to try to figure out what I actually wrote down in the notebook during these live broadcasts, because I, I, as we were coming up with the principles live on the air, on the spot, I was writing them down in this notebook. But every time I go back and look at them, I'm like, I don't really know what that says, because I'm, I'm just trying to write them down as fast as I can. And it's sloppy and it's messy. But if we compile all of the principles, and someone has them typed out in a nice way. Um, you can you can you can put your name at the bottom, compiled by, because I want you to have credit. But then I will take that list and post it at theologycentral.net on the blog section, so that everyone can see all of the principles we came up with. If you can put the principle and the scripture that that we took the principle from, that would be cool. The scripture, the principle, the scripture, the principle, the scripture, even if like three are from the same scripture, just put scripture or principle one, scripture one, and just all the way down to the end. If you don't feel like doing that, I completely understand. Ultimately, I will try to compile that and do that uh, and get that posted because I, I would like to have something kind of like, hey, here's, Here's what we did. We we did this. And when I say we, we all work together on this because some of these have been very difficult to come up with. I, I, so I've just felt like that even if maybe I didn't hear from you, I felt like you were there participating. And so we, we accomplished this, not I. And I'm grateful. So here we go. Are we ready? We have reached the series finale. This is it. The last episode. Let's jump in. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, really not that long ago. And it was actually, well, on this planet. Charles Stanley wrote a book called 30 Life Principles. That book became a Bible called the Life Principles Bible, which became a study guide called the 30 Life, Princi the 30 Life Principles Study Guide. I stumbled across the book and said, whoa, this looks interesting. 30 Life Principles. I could write these principles down and I could meditate and study on them and I could probably benefit my Christian life. So I started looking at his principles, but then I noticed the scriptures that he said was the source for these principles. And I'm like, uh, no, doesn't work. Those scriptures cannot give you those principles because those scriptures don't say anything that's written down on, in your principles. In many cases, the scripture contra contradicts your principle. This is all garbage. I wasted my money on all of these books. And then I would push him aside and I'm like, but no, no, I don't want to wait. I never waste money on books. I've got to get something out of these. So I kept pulling them back out, struggling, struggling, struggling. And I'm like, you know what I'll do? I'll create a podcast series. We'll just turn on the microphone. I'll just open the book. Boom. Point at the principle. Say, everyone, here's the principle. Here's some thoughts. Now, we'll set aside the principle. We'll look at the scripture with no prep, 
real time and try to come up with actual principles derived from the actual text with some kind of meaning, meaningful, actual, exegetical, biblical, hermeneutical interpretation. And that's what we've tried to do. And uh, I hope you have appreciated the effort and the attempt. But today we reach the end. The end has arrived. Here we go. For the very last time, I'm going to reach over. I'm going to grab my iPad. Well, not the last time I'm ever going to grab my iPad, but the last time I'm ever going to grab my iPad to do what I'm about to do. I'm going to go over here. Well, not even this, because I'm going to open this app again, but I'm never going to open this app for this purpose ever again, okay? So I will grab my iPad again. I will open this app again, but I will not probably ever be looking at this book again. All right, here we go. I'm opening up the Kindle app to Charles Stanley's book, if it will open. Okay, there we go. 30, that would have went really bad. That would have been a dramatic conclusion. The app will not open, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, no, it opened. All right, here we go. That would have been really bad. All right, here we go. Life principle number 30. Now, technically, this is day 31. We're t- there's a 24-hour gap. You can go listen to the previous episode and figure out why, all right? So here we go. Life principle number 30, day 30, scripture 30, technically day 31. But all right, you, you, you understand. Here we go. Life principle 30. I feel like I've, I need to read this in some dramatic, I need some kind of sound effect. All right, but here we go. We, we don't want to, we don't want to be over the top. We just want this to be, I just feel like there's, I've got to, I feel like I've got to be able to say something dramatic in this one. I feel a lot of pressure right now. Okay. I feel a lot of pressure. Okay. But all right, I'm going to set aside the pressure. Here we go. An eager anticipation of the Lord's return keeps us living productively. An eager anticipation of the Lord's return keeps us living productively. Now, I'm assuming he's saying living productively in a spiritual way. So let me, uh, so he says what keeps you living a productive Christian life. That's, I'm assuming, what he means here. What keeps you living a, a productive Christian life is an eager anticipation of the Lord's return. I have to ask you a question here. Honestly, I want you to be as honest as you can be. I really want you to think. Now, I, and I ask these kinds of questions all the time. I've been, I, I did a podcast episode not too long ago where I asked some questions. Well, in this series, hey, what really helps you in your Christian life? Do other people, are other people an asset or are other people a hindrance? I didn't get a lot of emails in response to that, right? Are other people a help or a hindrance, right? Are they an asset or are they a negative thing? Well, when it comes to your Christian life, what do you think motivates you the most to live a spiritually productive life? What do you find to be the most motivating thing when it comes to your Christian life? If you think of your Christian life, right, it's a, we, we, we describe it as a walk, right? We describe it as a race. We describe it as a journey. We, we describe it as a war. Whatever language you use to describe the Christian life, what do you think motivates you, keeps you living a spiritually productive life? What do you think it keeps you, keeps you walking, keeps you running, keeps you fighting, keeps you exploring? What, whatever terminology you want to use, what is the most motivating factor 
to you living out a productive Christian life? What do you think? Do you think it's one thing? Do you think it's two things? Do you think it's three things? Do you think it's guilt? The fear of failure? The fear of shame? The fear of letting other people down? I think this is an important question, and hear me out. I think there's a lot of things that can motivate us in the Christian life, right? But those motivations, I think in many cases, are wrong motivators, and they ultimately usually end badly for everyone involved, all right? Okay, now that, there's always, the people who listen to this program really should be the ones with the microphone, and I should be the one listening, because they tend to always know more than me, okay? But that's okay. The, the smarter my listeners are, the better the podcast is. That's that's my theory, okay? Because I'm not, I'm not, I don't ever want to be, like, intimidated by smart listeners. I want as many of them as possible, because it always benefits everyone. Someone just said, I like this, okay? Um, maybe the wonder of the gospel. Wow. The wonder of the gospel. <laughs> That's deep. Okay. That's, we could have about a 12 hour conversation about that. That's some good stuff right there. We're going to, we're going to come back to that one. And this person said, I have been wrongly motivated lots of times. Oh, so have I. I have been, look, when I became a Christian, all right. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to, I know you're like, so, so what, what are we going to do with this principle? I know we need to get to the scripture, but this just raises so many questions, right? And again, this is one of the reasons this book fascinated me so much because for each one of the principles he gave, I could have like, you know, an eight hour conversation with myself. I may come to the conclusion that his principle has nothing to do with the scripture, but I still would spend hours tearing these principles apart. I know I've got, I know what you're saying. Get a life. Now I love taking things apart and analyzing them. Like everything's a puzzle and I like trying to figure it out. So when I think about this, an eager anticipation of the Lord's return keeps us living productively, I immediately forget the first part, like what keeps me living a productive Christian life? What motivates me? So in my Christian life, if I, I, I think you can write stages of your, I think you can break your Christian life into stages, right? I don't know how long you've been a Christian, five years, 10 years, 15 years. You could probably draw a chart and some kind of a, and you could probably break it into stages. Like the first few years, I don't know what, you could give each stage a name. And I think each stage there's different motivators. And I think some of those motivators are really bad. For me, when I became a Christian, there was, a, there were, and there's just no way to get around this. This is going to sound ungodly. It's going to sound fleshly, but there was a little bit of this. Okay. I was not in a good place in my life. Okay. There's just no way to get around it. Okay. My family life was a disaster. It was horrible. High school, to describe it as a living hell, in some ways, you may think that's hyperbole, really an understatement. I, 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 I most of the time I didn't even want to live. I, I, I didn't, I felt like, I, I, I look, I, I don't even know how to describe how I felt even about existing, right? So when I became a Christian, it was more, I hate to say this, it was more like, okay, now, now I have an identity. Now I have a purpose and I'm going to be the best. I'm going to know more about the Bible. I'm going to know more about theology. I'm going to be the best Christian there has ever been. I'm going to show everyone that now uh, there's something about me. I'm not just a loser. I'm a nobody. Now I'm a Christian. I'm living for God. I, I know the Bible. And it, it became a lot about, even though I would not have been able to detect it at the time, a lot of it was about me. 
my, it, I felt like now I have self-worth. I have identity, but it wasn't my identity being in Christ. It was about, in a sense, Christ being, I think, I, I know this is going to sound weird. It wasn't about me disappearing and Christ becoming my identity. It was somehow about Christ, in a sense, I was using Christ for my identity. Christ wasn't my identity. I was simply using him to give me an identity, right? So that I could be something. I could be something, right? I could be something. And and there was a lot of, and then it really became very performance-based, right? I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be, so man, I made sure, you know, oh, we're studying what in Sunday school? Oh, give it right here. I'd go home, boom, I'd read everything, double highlight. When I came back to Sunday school, boom, 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 boom. I knew the answers better than the teacher. And I'm like, what's your problem? I know more than you. Then I was a spiritually arrogant jerk. I was going to be better than all the, I, it was so much performance-based and it was selfish, selfish. What I'm going to get out of it. I'm not saying there was nothing, anything good in it. I'm just wanting you to understand that now looking back, I can see that there was a lot of wrong motivations there. And you know what a lot of that led to when I started realizing that I was sinning and falling short, very much grave depression because I realized I wasn't perfect. And I thought Christianity was going to give me the ability to be perfect. And I couldn't process because in my mind, perfection is what's required for God to love you. And imperfection required me to be beat, abused, and rejected. So if I couldn't be perfect, then God would hate me. And I couldn't understand why I was not perfect. So I got so worried about it that I thought maybe I was demon-possessed. And it was just, it was, it was a mess. It was a mess, okay? So then... I kind of transitioned to this. I'll never forget the night uh, for anyone who knows my, my life. And I'm just, a lot of this is going to be more like maybe just my own confession trying to figure this out. I don't know if this will be, maybe you don't care, but I, I still think it's, this is, uh, look, all I can tell is my story, right? I can't tell anybody else's story. Then for anyone who knows my life, music and dance was a massive part of my life, right? So I, like I won my first dance contest when I was very little at the Rose Park Recreation Center in Abilene, Texas. And then I won uh, a dance contest when I was probably too young to be in the club. Uh, so I won my first dance contest there. And then, but um, I'd always, you know, been in, in, in normal and da- dances and other kind of situations, all right? Um, and, and always created problems because if there was a dance and there was lots of guys there, I ended up in a fight because I, they, well, the girls thought everything was great and the guys didn't like it. So it got so bad that one time I went to the high school school dance and I was not allowed in because they said it was going to lead to a fight. It was just ridiculous, but okay. But music and dance, music and dance, everything was great. And then someone showed up at my house one evening and took me to one of the clubs, right? Grand Central Station, right? And uh, I had not been into a club like this. It was like now, quote, unquote, an adult club. You could get in like when you were 18. They would just put a little bracelet so you could not buy alcohol. And I didn't care about alcohol. And I'll never forget walking into that club and seeing the lights. Now, I'm a Christian at the time, right? And I walk in and I'm like, wow. The music, the lights, the dance floor. I'm like, wow. So I didn't do anything. I just sat to the side and watched. And I thanked the person for taking me, 
And then the next night, I went by myself. I got there early. Man, soon as, like, I nobody, there was just some people starting to come in, and I, the music hit. I was on the floor by myself. I did not care. It's like the minute I start dancing, it's like I'm in a whole new world, and I'm who I'm supposed to be. There was, like, that's who I am. It's like, I can't even explain the, like, there's, like, it's like a some out-of-body experience. It's hard to explain, right? So, I'm there. And then it's like, wow, here, I almost feel like now here's my identity, right? Because then all of a sudden I realize, wow, now girls notice me. Wow. Now girls like I'm a nobody outside of this place, but on this dance floor, I'm somebody. And all of a sudden I kind of became, everyone knew me in the club. Everyone knew my name, everyone. And all of a sudden girls liked me and they wanted to give me their number. And it's like, oh, my whole life changed. Right. But then I was confronted. Well, wait a minute. How do I reconcile this with my Christianity? And I found myself in some really difficult situations. Right. So I'm like, okay, so what's going to motivate me now to live a Christian? Because now I, it's not, my identity is now becoming my dancing and becoming, getting a name for myself in this club and being invited to go on all these other situations. So, and some of my dancing is clearly not the most biblical. So I don't so I'm not, I'm not perfect. Uh, so, okay, well, what do I do with that, about that? So I struggle. And then I kind of realize, oh, now I know what my, my, my purpose of my Christianity there's lots of women who comes to the club and they were always either being hit on or, or guys trying to bother them or someone trying to put something in their drink. So I became the guy, you're safe, right? I'm not going to take advantage of you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to get anything from you. You want to dance with me? Great. If you want me to hang out with you, will, I don't drink. I don't, I don't drink alcohol at all. I'm just going to be drinking water. And I'm, I encourage them, Hey, you don't need to drink. Just drink water. Let's just have fun dancing. You could dance with me with no, we could, we could dance anyway, but there was no, like, I'm going to ask anything of you. In fact, in most cases, I, ne- I never asked. My rule was never to ask anyone to dance. The, the, they had to ask me to dance. That was my rule. I'm not asking a girl to dance because they already get bothered enough. They want to dance with me. They're going to have to ask me. And I really just kind of made it like, if you want to walk up to me and dance, great. And so my, my kind of my purpose in my Christianity was like, I'm just going to be a, a positive influence and make this place safe for anybody who wants to just dance. Now, not really necessarily a great spiritual cause, but I kind of try to make my Christianity about this. I'm just going to be the positive influence here and not do anything wrong. I kind of took it in that fact. That almost became my motivator. That almost became my motivator. And that was there for a long time. Now, there was good and there was bad and there was failure and there was struggle. And I found myself in all kinds of situations I should have probably never been in. But that's a whole different story. But so I kind of moved from that. Then, then after that, I kind of moved into my new motivator was I'm going to be in the ministry. I'm going to be in the ministry. I'm, and that, that's my motivation. I'm going to go to Bible college and seminary and I'm going to go to as many Bible colleges and as many seminary. And now my motivator really was to learn so that I could be a pastor. And in many cases, the motive, guess what? The motivation was, you know, I know you're the, the club one, you're already questioning it going, that wasn't very spiritual. Like, look, all of these you can question, right? But the third one, you think it sounds good, right? Right. But it really became, I'm learning so that I can become a pastor. I'm learning I'm, so I can become a pastor, so that I can be the best preacher. I can be the best teacher. I can be the most theological. I can be the best with hermeneutics. It became almost a more performance-based, but I was learning to get a position. I wasn't learning to worship Christ. 
I wasn't learning to grow in devotion. I was learning so that I could stand in front of people and wow them with my knowledge and with my speaking ability. And then, and then I could become my, and this becomes about my identity again. Oh, I can be the guy who's the best speaker, the best preacher, the best biblical interpreter. So once again, wrong motivation. Then I can transition into when I first started kind of doing podcasting. Well, then my motivation kind of became my Christian life was I'm going to be the best. It wasn't even called podcasting yet. I'm going to be the best person behind the microphone. I'm going to be the best. And I'm going to offer the best commentary about what's going on. And it's going to be, once again, it became about me. So if you notice, there's a pattern that throughout my Christian life, a lot of things, what motivated me in the Christian life wasn't Christ. It was me. It's what Christ could give me. It was what Christianity could provide me. Christianity became a means to my own personal advancement, my own emotional stability. It became about me. I could probably continue on. I could continue on. What, what is your, what motivates you? Look, he, here it says that the, the, it's the anticipation of the Lord's return that keeps us living productively. What what keeps you living productively? What, what is your number one motivator right now? What is your number one motivator? And every day I have to ask, what's motivating me in my Christian life? And the reason it's such an important question is because wrong motivation, it always just, it all, it just, you end up stranded on the side of the road. You end up like where? You end up, the car flipped over, it's flipped over five times, it's in flames, and you're laying broken on the side of the road. And everybody, and everybody will walk by going, idiot. Everybody walks by, loser. Everybody walks by, failure. Very few people stop to pick you back up to try to restore you. They're just like, you're done. Stay off the road. You, you, you blew your chance. But that's fine. But in many cases, I got there because the wrong motivation. But in every particular situation, I would have told you that I had the right motivation. I would have argued and probably quoted scripture to tell you that I was doing the right thing for the most godly reason. But now looking back, I can see that I was, well, wrong. So now here's the question. What's the right motivation? According to this principle, it's the anticipation of the Lord's return that keeps you living productively. The scripture provided is this. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Revelation 22, 12. Now, if you, if, you, if you take that scripture and go with his principle, you can see what he's saying should motivate you. Why should the Lord's, Lord, why should the Lord's return motivate you and keep you living productively? Because you're working to get that reward. You want, you want to get as many rewards as possible. I'm sorry, I, I call into question that motivation. 
I think it's perfectly okay to be motivated by wanting to be to receive rewards when Christ returns. I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with it. I just think that that's motivation is, I think that's short-lived. I, I think that motivation falls apart. That motivation may sound good sitting in the pew. I don't know how good that motivation is to do the right thing and to live a productive Christian life at three o'clock in the morning. I, I don't, I don't know if like, oh, I may, if I, if I, I I'm going to lose a reward. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the right motivation. Maybe it works for you. All right. I can't speak for everyone. I just don't know. I think that motivation sounds so good sitting in church. Hey, you know, knowing Christ is going to return and bring a reward. That's my motivating. That's what motivates me. That's what keeps me living a productive life. I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. So I, so I can't derive a principle from this. I'm not saying that we should not, we should clearly not never forget that Christ is going to return. I just don't know. Is that the, I know I'm taking this more from his principle than from the passage, which kind of violates what I said I was going to do. But I think we're on, I think this is one of those situations where I I, I think we got to follow, I think we got to follow this. I'm just going to follow this idea. If, If this doesn't go exactly what I've set up as the, parameters for how to do this series. It's the series finale. I'm going to violate it a little bit, okay? Because I think we're, I, 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 I can't, I think we've stumbled onto something here, right? What motivates us? And I think it's interesting to look back at my Christian life and look at the different areas of, uh, different segments of my Christian life. And I think I can see now what was the motivator. And I think all of them were wrong and they all crashed and burned. I think every, I think in every segment of my Christian life, for whatever good was in that segment, they always, I think each segment, the transition into the next segment of my Christian life, there's always some kind of failure, some kind of, something goes wrong. Um, maybe it's just me. I mean, you, so some of you are like, no, everything's gone right in your Christian life. Okay, great. But for me, I've got these periods of failure and problems. So I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they all end horribly. So what should be the motivator? This text doesn't provide one. I know I'm, I'm hearing people, I can already hear people screaming at me. No, you, it's this. This is the right motivator. I, I love the wonder of the gospel as someone um, put forth. That's, that's a good, that's a great one. I would hope see, uh, I'm trying. I know you're probably thinking, what, what, what's, what's your, what's your hangup here? Try to hear me out. I guess from my own past experience, selfishness in the disguise of spirituality has been my motivator. I think, I think sometimes what's always motivated, somehow it's about me, but it's disguised as spirituality. So like a part of me says, what should motivate me the most is love for God, right? For God so loved me, his love for me should motivate, I might, that should motivate me. But if I'm not careful, I can make that love for me, again, a selfish motivation. Well, I'm going to be motivated because God loved me and he did A, B, C, D, E, F for me. 
Should I not be motivated even if God did nothing for me because he is God? The Puritans, there are certain Puritan writings where this kind of concept emerges that even if God never offered salvation, if God, if all God told us is that we were going to die and we were going to be judged for eternity, we should still love him, worship him, praise him, and serve him because he's God. Therefore, he's worthy of our praise, worship, even if we received nothing from him. Now, that's a, that's a powerful concept. I, I don't think anybody of I don't think any of us would do that no matter how much we would say amen if that was preached I don't think any of us would actually live that way so I want to say well God himself should be my motivation he is God that sounds super spiritual So I I don't I don't think that's accurate Someone just said No matter how hard I try, I cannot seem to muster up a pure motivation for anything I ever did. Amen. None of us have ever had a pure motivation. None of us has ever, because whatever motivation we receive that's external to us, the minute we grab onto that motivation, we corrupt it, we twist it, we mess with it until it becomes something not pure. Because we're impure. I think it's going to sound selfish, and I think we make it selfish. The only thing that truly can motivate me or should motivate me is really, someone said the gospel. I would just say it, it's, the, it, it's the gospel. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's, it's, it's the fact that no matter how impure I am, no matter how ungodly I am, no matter how much my life sometimes demonstrates that which contradicts my profession of faith, that I am covered in the imputed righteousness of Christ because of what Christ did for me. It still becomes about me, so I can still make it a selfish thing, but that's the only thing that, it's not just that he's going to return, but he's going to return to, to for me, but the only reason he's returning for me is not because of what reward I'm going to earn. It's he's coming to, he's coming for me because of what Christ did for me. The only reason Christ is returning for me is because of the imputed righteousness. The only reason there's any hope of heaven is because of the imputed righteousness. It's the, I guess you could call it the gospel. It's the good news of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, his obedience on my behalf. It's the fact that I'm a broken piece of garbage sinner who has failed and hurt the name of Christ and hurt people. And man, I've done so much wrong. But in spite of all of that, in Christ, I'm perfect and without sin. That's got to motivate me. That's got to be the motivator. It's still selfish 
But how can I not be motivated by the fact that when everyone else may walk by and go, loser, 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 it's almost like, you know, Abram and, and David is mentioned in Romans about basically imputed righteousness and being declared righteous by faith. Like we may walk by and go, Abram, do you know what you did with Hagar? Hey, David, do you know what you did? Because what you did was really messed up. But in the New Testament, it's like, no, it's not David the adulterer, David the murderer, or David the rapist, or, or Abraham the rapist with what happened with Hagar, and we can get a whole discussion. Some people want to refer to rape. We can have that discussion. Whatever you want to refer to it as, no, it's David the righteous, and the man after God's own heart, and Abram, a man of faith. It's like when you when you read the Old Testament story of Lot, you're like, there's a man offering up his daughters to all the men of the city, and there's a man who not only gets drunk and has relations with his daughter, not just once, he does it twice. Okay, But yet in the New Testament, he's called the righteous. How can Lot be righteous? How can David be a man after God's own heart? How can Abraham be a great man of faith? We would only know them for their horror. Their entire life would be defined by their sin. We define ourselves and we define others by their sin. Christ, in, in God's eyes, we are defined by Christ's obedience and his righteousness. That should motivate me to no end that in God's eyes, I am, he perceives me as holy and righteous, even though I'm not. That should motivate me to at least try to serve him and love him to the best of my ability, even though it's always good. And, and you know why it motivates me is no matter how much I fail, he still will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I'm not the, well, I, I'm not the good and faithful servant. His son is, and it, well, though I'm, because of his righteousness being imputed to me in Christ, I am now considered well done, good and faithful servant because he doesn't see me and my service. He sees the service of his son who fulfilled the will of the father. I think we have to be motivated by, you can call it the gospel, the imputed righteousness, by a salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. I'm going to put this down as a principle. I don't, I'm not sure this is going to make any sense. I'm going to open up the notebook. It's being number 48. We must take time to consider our motivations, our motivations in our Christian life. And the reason I say this is a lot of times I can look at what I'm doing right. But sometimes my motivation in doing right is wrong. And even though that motivation may be keeping me doing right things, if I don't fix the motivation, it will end in disaster. It really will. My motivation has to be Christ 
death, burial, and resurrection in his imputed righteousness, that I stand before God holy and righteous even though I'm not. There's a freeing aspect in that, right? Hey, I'm going to do this. Man, I messed up, but not in Christ. I'm still pure and holy. That should continue to motivate me. Now, some people will say, no, that doctrine leads you to say, well, I don't need to do it. I can just do whatever I want. Well, look, you can, there's always dangers of you abusing a truth, but that abuse of a truth does not deny the reality of a truth. What, I, I guess the goal, I, I, the, the Revelation 22 passage to me is not helpful here because in this sense, his principle blinds me to the text. So I, we could probably work on the text, but we just, I just think this is a good way to end. 30, we've spent 30, 31 days looking at 30 passages of scripture. What was my motivation to finish this? I'm going to pat myself on the back here in a minute going, whew, I can walk down those stairs and go, I did it. I finished it. Yeah. I can hope that people will say, you did a good job. You did great. That was, oh, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, that was so life-changing. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. Give me some more praise. Come on. Is that my motivation? So I've got to consider my motivation in it. Because even if it did good, if my motivation was wrong, then, then well, I need to consider that. I'm not saying we have to spend every second of every day questioning every motivation, but I think we always need to look at our Christian life and go, what's motivating me the most right now? Hopefully what motivated me in this is because I have, by faith, I have the imputed righteousness of Christ accredited to my account that I'm motivated to try to minister to as many people as possible because of that. And that my true motivation is, well, just out of love and just out of uh, a desire just to, to show my love and appreciation for what has been given to me. I want to give to others. Freely I have received, so freely I want to give. And then I'm freely trying to give and minister to as many people as possible to help them in their spiritual life. We're just going to end there. I know it's not very dramatic. I know it's not, whoa, that was the most amazing series ever, but that's where it really needs to end. What is motivating you in your spiritual life right now? Is it the return of Christ? I'm not saying it's a wrong motivator. But the, I, 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 want, I want to try to connect this to that, but I'm just going to say that like my motive for Christ to return, it may be a motivation, but if, if, I, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I don't have the imputed righteousness of Christ, then his return, I, I just, I just don't know if that's a motivator. Maybe it is. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I like leaving it with a little bit of like, well, I like leaving it with a, kind of a, just a little bit of mystery there where other people can go, well, I, I think it could be. I, if, I, if I leave it there, then maybe I've accomplished something because I will get people thinking about motivators. How, you, I'll end with this question. How does the return of Christ motivate you? I, 
I, I guess the reason I don't see it as a great motivator is is I can be as motivated by the return of Christ every, all day. I can supposedly be so motivated by it, but there's a possibility, right? I think, I mean, I think we have to accept that's a, a, a good possibility that I'm not going to see the return of Christ, that I will die. So I, I can't, that's not the thing that can keep motivating me is looking for that which may not happen, but to look to something that I are, has already happened. Christ died, and by faith, his righteousness has been imputed to me. And that's true whether I, I do good or whether I do bad, whether I have the right attitude or whether I have the wrong attitude. There seems to be a better motivator. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. If you've listened to this series and you've made it to the end, Thank you so very much for those who've been such a major part of encouraging me to get here. Whatever success happens from this podcast, whoever is blessed by it, challenged by it, convicted by it, or helped by it, that ministry success belongs to you because you are a part of it. And hopefully all of us together, we have produced and accomplished something that will help and benefit other people. This series is over. We'll continue to do other things, obviously. We always have plenty of other series to work on. But hopefully we leave this series asking ourselves: what has motivated me in my Christian life in the past? Was it right or was it wrong? What is motivating me in my Christian life in the present? Is it right or is it wrong? No, it's never going to be pure. But we can see the flaws so that we can avoid maybe the catastrophe that wrong motivation leads to. All right. And someone just said, thank you so much to, med- uh, to meditate on in this series. But really, the person who just thanked me, they were one of two people specifically who has done so much to encourage me to finish this. There's been others as well. They maybe have given the most, but there's others. The other night at church, uh, someone um, really thanked me for the series, which was really helpful. So there's been a number of people, but for every person, thank you very much. So we've reached the end. Thank you. I I feel like, again, I I feel like I should say something dramatic, but I can't. So you know what we can do? I don't have any more epic words to say. I don't know if I've ever uttered an epic word in my life, but I did pay money to have an epic, well, conclusion, right? Here we go. Thank you for listening. Email me. Have a wonderful night. And let's go out with our epic theme music.